as you fill us with encouragement and peace. Throughout this week, our thoughts often turn to you for direction and strength, and in quiet confidence, we found the strength that you can only give. We look to you. We believe in your unfailing love. We thank you for being close to us day by day. We know that you desire to direct our lives and that blessings come through following your way, which is the way Jesus taught us to live. We are thankful for the plans you have for each one of us as we move forward in obedience and your will. We are thankful for the presence as you look within us, knowing us so well, guiding us in the best ways for us to go. On this Sabbath day, we look to you to steadfast, steadfast love and trust, and we thank you for the mercy and love that surrounds us. We are grateful that you are changing us to be more like Jesus every day. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, may the words your Son taught us to guide our steps as we worship you in the Spirit and truth. Our Father, Father who, who art in heaven, heaven hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Any of the kids that have been to camp know that we like to um, teach the Ten Commandments. We just do it in a nonstop manner. Then we quiz them at the end of the week. We do it every, every uh, year in camp. Well, God taught us the first nine commandments. In those commandments... Basically, you can say, we must, or we, we must not sin. 
Then he taught us the Tenth Commandment. We must not want to sin. Yes. And hopefully you are like me. You enjoy what Jesus had to say about the Ten Commandments in his Sermon on the Mount. Jesus raised our understanding of the Ten Commandments to a higher level. During his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took God's Ten Commandments and he explained to us what God was really saying, what God intended. God, or Jesus, gave us a wonderful exposition about his Father's mind. He was God's Son, telling us how his Father wants us to think and act. The Ten Commandments are information for the conduct of our lives. But living a spiritual life is not about getting information. Far more than that. Rather, living a spiritual life is all about transformation. Walking in the power of God's Holy Spirit creates transformation. And it delivers freedom. Freedom from sin. Freedom from the pressures of the cultural biases around us. Things that won't bother a person without the Holy Spirit will bother you if you have God's Holy Spirit within you. That's right. If we walk in the Spirit, then we will be transformed. We will not want to sin. I'm not saying we won't. I'm not saying we will ever reach perfection. That never happens. But we can go far, far beyond what we ever imagined in our spiritual walk. Got to give God something to work with. We have God's Ten Commandments. We have what Jesus said about them in His Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So what then does God think about us, His creation, when we don't measure up to his standards. This really is a feel-good sermon, by the way. Okay. <laughs> when I was... <laughs> the first day I walked into a church as a boy, I heard that Jesus loved me. I learned about his sacrifice on the cross. I learned that he loves me so much that he died to forgive my sins. I learned that Jesus wants me to be more like him. But I also learned that I would never measure up. Doesn't Romans chapter 3 verse 23 say we have all fallen short of the glory of God? I learned that one day I would be judged. And that on my own, I can do nothing. I heard this over and over again. And it didn't take long before I no longer wanted to go to church. Because it was there that I continually heard that people fall short. It didn't sit well with me. It was easy to develop a belief that we aren't good enough. That we are always on the brink of, brink of failure. 
that was a misrepresentation of the truth. I've, I've called it negative preaching for years now. What I heard in church made me feel lousy. I began to think that God considered me a failure. I thought to myself, I try. I keep on sinning. God's always angry with me. I'll never measure up. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told the parable of a master who entrusted his money to three servants before he embarked on a journey. The first two servants invested what the master gave them. The the third servant buried it in the ground. When the master returned, the first two servants returned a profit to their master's investment. The third servant gave back the initial investment with an explanation. I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your money in the ground. As a boy, it seemed to me that the third servant was the focus of the preacher's sermons. (laughs) I asked myself, why doesn't the preacher focus on the first two servants? As a 13-year-old boy, I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I knew that it was Jesus who died for me. I claimed his promise. But by the time I was 15 years old, I was very uncomfortable with all the negative preaching. I heard that God would be angry if I failed. It seemed to me that I would never be good enough for God. And like the third servant, I was afraid. I hid my talent in the ground. I felt like God was standing around the corner just waiting for me to fail. And when I did, he would annihilate me. But thankfully, Jesus rose to save me from all that. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you aren't good enough? Who are you trying to please anyway? Are you trying to please yourself? Are you trying to please someone else? If you are, then you will always come up short. People expect us to be very different from whom we are, how we perform. But that is not what God expects. God declares your worth. His opinion is the one that counts. Every other opinion about you, while it may seem important to you, every other opinion about you is completely irrelevant to God. So let's read those opening verses that we read from the book of Psalms one more time. Psalm 103, verse 10 and 11. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Iniquities is a fancy word for sin. Usually we 
associated with really bad sins by our, by our um, measure. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. This tells me that you are good enough for God. His desire for you is that you live in his holy presence for eternity. He is not ashamed to call you his own. He's not ashamed to call you his child or his friend. Now, you know, you've probably heard this before. I heard it. I said to myself, this is wonderful. I am good enough for God. But then I would turn around and still try to prove my worth. And there's so many people I found out favor from others lasts only so long. In this world, especially now in our society, whether it's in business, sports, politics, or whatever field you're involved with, the question always seems to be, what have you done for me lately? So it's not surprising that so many people feel they can never measure up. But there is a solution. Define yourself as a person loved by God. Make God and his immense love for you the essential reason for your personal worth. Let God's love for you and his choice of you constitute your worth. Acknowledge the truth that you are good enough and lovable enough and that God wants his desire is to bring you into his kingdom. He wants to accept you. Then, failing in something will not mean that you are a failure in life. And achieving something will not be the basis of your life's worth either. Because neither of those things are the basis of the worth of your life. God does not love you because you are better at something than someone else. And he doesn't stop loving you, even during your worst moments. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. The world tells us that success matters most. The world tells us that if we fail, we are nothing. God, on the other hand, tells us that our value is not defined by our failures or by our sin or by our success. That's not the measure of a man in God's eyes. Through life's ups and downs, achievements and flops, your identity and worth is never conditioned on your failures or your achievements. You are a creation of God. That's what matters. To God, you are a treasure of great value to Him. That's what Scripture tells us. It's a common theme weaved from cover to cover in His Holy Scriptures. God doesn't expect you to be perfect, He knows what He created. He does, however, ask that you. 
realize that without Jesus, you cannot be holy. You cannot be sanctified in the manner that he commands you to be. It's only when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus that you become both eternally perfect in the Father's eyes and able to be sanctified, to be transformed into a person totally different from what you were before Jesus made you his brother and sister. Sometimes scripture says a joint heir with him in the kingdom. Serving yourself, seeking perfection through your own abilities will not make you happy. Rather, we are most fulfilled when we do what we were created to do, bring glory, honor, and praise to God, not to ourselves. He made us this way. And it's a relief to stop trying and straining so hard. Instead, we let God's power do its transforming work in us. This is a common theme in Scripture. There are many wonderful verses in Scripture that promise you that you can change. You've got to give God something to work with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Your faith can set you free. You can change, whether it's sin or shame or pain that plagues you. Jesus has already purchased your triumph. He sent his Father's Holy Spirit to release you from the bonds that try to hold you down. The prophet Jeremiah, he made, or through the prophet Jeremiah, God made a wonderful promise to his people. I've heard this before. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God does not intend to set you up for failure. Don't let his promise pass you by. He doesn't see you as a failure, obviously. He has planned for your future. And his plans, the plans that he has made are good for you. They're hopeful. They're sure. And they're positive. And as you lean on God more and more, you grow spiritually, then you will recognize how God is transforming you. You'll see it. Your language will change. Your desires will change. I'm not saying we don't want to live comfortably. 
We lose the desire to build barns full of gold. Our desire changes because we love, we want to give. I want to dispel a false idea, a lie that the evil one uses to keep us from being transformed by God's Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard that only the strong survive? (laughs) Have you ever heard that to get ahead in this world, you must not show weakness? Sure you have. We've heard that a lot. That is a lie that can prevent God from using you in his kingdom. Why? Because if you buy into it, this lie can quickly become your identity. You will you will quickly Learn to keep others away from you who might threaten your position as you attempt to get what you want when you want it or else. It's the way of the world. If someone tries to help you, if you adopt this philosophy, this worldly philosophy, this is what you might say. I don't need you or your advice. Don't tell me what to do. Who are you to tell me what to do? I'm perfectly capable of handling life all by myself. (laughs) That was me. (laughs) But life doesn't work that way. You can't always be in control, no matter how talented you are. You can't always be strong. If you attempt to do so, your forceful ways may even hurt others, even though that's not what you intend to do. Why? See, people are uncontrollable. (laughs) You may have heard me say in the past that relationships are messy, (laughs) they take effort. We see uncontrollable people all the time because life gets in the way. Your children get sick. You have to rearrange your whole day. You didn't plan on that. You walk into the post office. Now, this one's happened to me many times, at least half a dozen times in my life. You walk into the post office and two of the employees simultaneously leave for lunch. And the one remaining employee works in slow motion. (laughs) That's what it seems like. Your car always breaks down at the most inconvenient time. And even our emotions are sometimes uncontrollable. Because sometimes we burst into unneeded anger or tears at the very moment when we most want to be in control. Isn't that the way life works? Oh, you say that you can keep things under control, but you won't be able to stay in control forever. 
if you're that kind of person, then eventually you will get knocked up alongside the head by an uncontrollable situation and don't even try to control everything under your own power. What do you do during the times when life throws you a curve? And like will. Psalm 62, verses 5 through 8. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. God is a safe place to be. God is rock solid. That's what the psalmist told us. Rock solid. In him, you are set free for life. You can trust God to control things. You can read about Abraham's approach to life in Romans chapter 4. This is what Paul wrote concerning the life of Abraham. He, meaning Abraham, was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. God's plan is better than your plan. His ways are better than your ways. He invites you to surrender your efforts to be in line with his plan. And that is not easy for those of us who are accustomed to controlling situations and people. And some people are born leaders, and they still end up getting knocked alongside the head. Life gets in the way. Me, I don't like being weak. I don't like feeling vulnerable. I don't like being found lacking. But God has given me hope through one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian life. When I am weak, then I am strong. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. This is the Apostle Paul speaking about him himself. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God proclaims that he is with you. His grace is all that you need. His power shows up best when we are weak. He proclaims that he is with you. So in response 
to God's promise, we need to boldly proclaim along with Paul. that we are glad to boast about how weak we are. We are glad to be living representations, living demonstrations, living ambassadors of God's power. Instead of showing off our own power and abilities, when I am weak, then I am strong. The less I have, the more I depend on God. What a paradox. And that type of an attitude, of that type of spiritual understanding doesn't happen overnight. We're in training to get there. It takes a while. That's why we love being the presence of elderly saints who have had decades to learn how to be strong because they are weak. For some of us, it seems risky releasing the control of your life, acknowledging your weaknesses. It's not easy. Sometimes it's scary. But God's word promises that he is a safe place to be. He will not forsake you. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. But caution. Listening to God's truth, reading God's promises in his word, these activities, listening and reading, do not accomplish the work God intends you to do. Listening and reading. You must differentiate between knowing the truth and truth being, living the truth. Truth being. Yeah, 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 I've heard this before. God loves me, he accepts me, but <laughs> you need to drop those buts. You've got to let go of the but. Genuine transformation will occur only when you let God's ways, his truths sink down into your very core. Allow his truth, his ways to change the way you think, to change your behaviors. It's a way of life. It's a commitment. God's word tells us that we can be transformed over time. It doesn't happen overnight. Simply, authentically believe the truths from God's word. He will enable you. His Holy Spirit will empower you. And may God's Holy Spirit and God himself 
continue to transform you. You are his beloved creation after all. This is what scripture teaches us. Teaches us that he will transform you into a confident, secure follower of Jesus. Grounded in him. Amen and hallelujah. Just keep omnipotent.